And I invite you to turn with me uh, again to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, uh, very end of chapter 29, we'll be reading the last verse, and then <clears throat> verses 1 through 14 in Deuteronomy chapter 30. So again, Deuteronomy 29, and the first 14 verses of chapter 30. <clears throat> All right, let's listen closely to the word of God. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice, and all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it, and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you, as he took delight in your fathers when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law. When you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Well, in May of 2010... A small plane landed in Papua, Indonesia to deliver a, a special package. A large crowd had already gathered on the runway so that when the small plane landed, it was greeted with dancing and singing. They were singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The reason for their celebration, the reason they were dancing on the runway and singing together is because they were receiving 
for the very first time, copies of God's word in their own heart language, in their own native tongue. So it's the Kimyal tribe. And it's a, it's a beautiful moment. It's a moving moment, which you can actually, you can watch online. If you look it up and search for something like Kimyal tribe hears, uh, receives the New Testament for the first time. Strongly, strongly encourage you to do that. Not right now, later today. You can listen, you can watch it. Make sure you watch the longer version. It's about 10 minutes long. The story goes back to 1964 when Christian missionaries first brought the gospel to the Kimyal people. Some of those missionaries were martyred. That means it was a little over half a century before the Kimyal tribe received copies of God's word in their own native language. And again, this, this amazing moment is captured on video. And after, after the plane lands and people are dancing and singing, uh, a group of men very solemnly approach the small plane and with outstretched arms receive this package of New Testament Bibles. Bibles are placed within their hands. And you can see in the video that these men are fighting back tears, and then one of the men begins to pray. And he prays God with this loud voice, thanking and praising God for sending his word to the Kimyal people, for bringing it near. The tribe had never had the word of God, and if you, if you listen to his prayer, you'll hear this man, he likens himself to Simeon, Simeon in the New Testament, who received the promise that he would, he would hold uh, infant Jesus in his own hands before he died. And this man likens himself to, to Simeon and he prays, Today, O God, you have placed your word into my hands just like you promised. You have placed it here in our land. And for this, O God, I give you praise. It's an incredible moment that should give us a fresh and renewed sense of just how good it is to have access to God's word. Something we take for granted sometimes, isn't it? You, know, you, can, you can go on to Bible Gateway. I wonder if you've ever done this. You go on to Bible Gateway online and there's a drop-down menu of English translations. And there's over 70 translations that you have open access to. I wonder if we've forgotten what a precious thing it is to have God's word written down for us. To have God's word in a book that we can, we can take with us and open up and have ready access to. The gift of access to divine revelation is one of the things that Moses wants us to marvel at here in Deuteronomy 30. Here he insists that God's word is, is not far off. God's word is very near you. The divine revelation has, has reached you. And God's word is a home-making word. It is a home-making word that comes to take up residence in your heart. God's word is, is not an incomprehensible enigma that is enshrouded in clouds of mystery. 
It is not in some far off land that you have to go off and get it. It is a word that draws near and makes itself clear. It is a word that cuts deep and makes alive. And it is a word that comes to make its home in our hearts. And so with this in mind, I want us to explore this passage before us today in in three parts. Uh, First, the secret things of the Lord and the revelation of God. Second, the promise of restoration. And then third, the nearness of God's word. Remember, Deuteronomy is Moses' farewell address. And in this great farewell address, he delivers a prophetic message to the people of God that would have raised all kinds of questions, sparked all kinds of discussion, particularly Questions and concerns about the future. This is especially true with the preceding passage that we just made uh, our way through. Where where Moses says that at some unspecified point in the future. Remember this is Israel on the plains of Moab preparing to go into Canaan. Take possession of the land that the Lord was giving to them. And Moses is saying someday later after you're in the land a day will come. When God will take you off into exile. When you will be uh, ejected from the land for your sin and rebellion and the curses of the covenant will fall upon the land and transform it from a garden-like paradise into a dusty, scorched earth reminiscent of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so you can imagine, as it were, all of, the, all of the emails that would have flooded Moses' inbox the following morning after he proclaimed that message. We can, we can imagine one such email saying something like, you know, Dear Moses, thank you so much for last week's sermon. I really appreciated what you had to say about spiritual revitalization and covenant renewal. But, but what did you mean? What did you mean when you spoke about the smoking hot anger of the Lord and the threat of exile. And when is that going to happen? Sincerely, Benjamin. Right, this, is, this is the kind of question that the Israelites would have had as they listened to Moses just before entering the promised land. And this is precisely the kind of question that Moses anticipates and answers with this famous verse in Deuteronomy 29:29 that the secret things belong to the Lord our God but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. Now I think there are at least two vital lessons that we need to learn from this verse. First, we must learn to bow down in humility. We must learn to get down on our knees and bow in humility before the mystery of what God has kept hidden. Before the mystery of what God has chosen not to reveal. What belongs to God alone. That's one vital lesson we need to learn from this verse. But the second lesson is what we must also learn to do what God has revealed. 
what he has made known to us and to our children. We must do both. We must bow down in humility and we must learn to stand upon all of the word and promises of God. The truth is that there are many, many things that we do not know. Many things that we do not understand because God has chosen not to reveal those things to us. And so so faith requires us to live with humility in regard to the secret things of the Lord. Not Not to speculate, not to seek further revelation beyond what God has clearly communicated. And at the same time, we need to focus and act upon the things that God has made known and plain to us. If I could speak personally for a moment, there there are so many questions that run through my mind all of the time when when I think about the future. I wonder if that's true for you too. What's going to happen to my kids? What's life going to look like for them? Are they going to live through World War III? What's the world going to look like in the next 50, 60, 70 years? How is, how is the world going to change over the course of my children's lifetime? You just say to myself, the secret things belong to the Lord. And I'm not to spend my life speculating about the things I cannot know. I'm sure you have some of your own burning questions. Why was I born with this disability? Why did I have to grow up in such a dysfunctional family? Why did God allow that particular trauma to take place in my life? What what does the future hold for me and and for my loved ones? What's going to happen to my job in the next year or five years or ten years? Will I ever marry? Will I ever have kids of my own? Will my child or my, my, my family member, member whom I've been praying for for years ever come to faith in Christ? The secret things belong to the Lord. We, we must not get paralyzed by all of the things we do not know, but instead seek to act upon the things that God has made known and plain to us. This is so important. It's it's also important to notice that the emphasis in Deuteronomy 29.29, it does not fall on the secret things. The emphasis falls on the revealed things that God has chosen to reveal so that we and our children may act upon his word. That's a helpful reminder and a corrective, isn't it? Because it's so easy to obsess about the things we don't know while ignoring or sidelining the things that we do know, the things we do have access to. I'm speaking for myself here. How about you? (laughs) It's so easy to do. It's so easy to live in endless paralysis, analysis paralysis and ignore all of the many things that God has made plain to us. So this verse helps us break out of that endless analysis paralysis and pursue a life of active obedience to God's clear word. How much better off would we be? How much better off would we be if we 
put into practice half of the things that we know instead of speculating about all of the things we don't know. And while there's a lot we don't know, the truth is, we've heard a lot, haven't we? It's not as though God has been silent. God has revealed much to his people. And if you're here at Trinity for any length of time, then then Lord willing, you're going to hear a lot of what God has to say to us. But but how, how much of it, I think a question we need to ask ourselves, how much of it do we seek with all of our hearts to put into practice? How dedicated are we to eating this book and digesting it so that it becomes a part of us? How committed are we to living on the basis of what God has made known? Deuteronomy 29.29 teaches us not only to humble ourselves before the mystery of what God has kept hidden, but to act upon all that he has revealed. I always need to remind myself, you know, I, I don't know why God allowed me to experience, and you, know, you fill in the blank there. I don't know why God allowed that. But I do know that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. I, I don't know if I will die in an unexpected accident this week or years from now in my own bed but I know that to live is Christ and to die is gain I don't know if my unbelieving friends and loved ones will be saved but I I know that God is gracious and good and that he answers prayer I don't know what the future holds for my children but I know that God is wise and good and sovereign, and he cares for my children more and better than I ever could. So I'm going to trust him. There are many inexplicable mysteries I cannot begin to explain, even in my own life. But of this much, we can be sure. Jesus loves me. (laughs) This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I know that's, you know, That's maybe like water on a duck's back to us. But it actually simplifies everything, doesn't it? It's all that really matters in the final analysis. Jesus loves me. There's a story about theologian uh, Karl Barth. Now, you know, we have our disagreements with some of the things Bart has to say, but he was a profound thinker, wrote Oodle's books that would take up an entire shelf. But one time when he was uh, visiting the United States, somebody, somebody asked him the question, Professor Bart, what have you learned in all of your studies? You know, could, you, could you just distill it down to a short answer? In a nutshell, what have you learned in all of your studies? I don't know if you've heard this story before how he responded. He responded with the words of the song, same song that the Kimyal tribe was singing as the plane was landing on the strip. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's all we need to know. 
at the end of the day. We can trust him with the things we don't know when we know just how much we are loved. This brings us to verses 1 through 10 and the promise of of restoration. Now, in, in these verses, Moses looks beyond that anticipated time of judgment and exile to a future restoration. Just pause there. It's worth saying, praise God that judgment is, is not the final word for God's people. Blessing is the final word. In fact, I would suggest that the best way to interpret this section of Moses' final sermon, within, within its overall context about repentance and ultimate restoration, uh, it, it, the, the goal is exile leading to full restoration. Exile leading to repentance. Exile leading to a return to the Lord. You see this in verses 1 through 3. Uh, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice and all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Here we see not only how God uses judgment to bring his wayward people back to himself, but also how God is able to take the very worst of things and to work them for good. This is precisely what God did through the exile. By driving his people away from his presence, he taught them to return and seek his presence and his blessing that they had taken for granted. This is the theological message and purpose of this prophetic message. God will drive them out so that they will return to him. You see, God's great act of expelling his covenant people under Moses, under the old covenant, his his great act of expelling them in exile was for the sake of an even greater indwelling. This is what Moses says. By driving them away, God intended to bring them back home and through an even greater exodus and an even greater entrance in which the very presence and power of Yahweh himself would penetrate into the depths of people's hearts. This is what Moses is looking forward to. This is the ultimate home. As Moses explains in Verses 4 through 6. Notice this movement from expelling to indwelling. If your outcasts uh, are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you, and the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it, and he will make you a more prosperous and numerous than your fathers, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, that you may live. Now notice notice this movement. This sweeping movement from the uttermost parts of heaven to the innermost sanctum of the human heart. 
sure many of you know about Elon Musk's uh, desire to make uh, human beings an interplanetary species. And even if he's successful in forming a, a colony on Mars, the human condition will fundamentally be the same. Because the fundamental issue is what Pastor Dave reminds us of all the time. That the heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart. That is what God wants. That is what God wants, friends. He wants your heart and he will have it. He will have it even if it requires an interstellar space mission followed up by heart surgery. God declares to his people, he will have their hearts and hearts of their children. This is the, the promise. Did you hear this, this part clearly? This is the promise of restoration fulfilled in the new covenant. When the one who is seated high above the heavens came down and performed the work that would result in his people's heart surgery. In other words, what Moses is anticipating here, yes, yes, it was, it, it was fulfilled in picture form in the return of the old covenant people of God to Jerusalem and the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple, but that was just a picture, pop-up picture, telling us something bigger. It is being fulfilled in its reality today under the new covenant. When a person finally comes to see and understand that the beloved son of God, who was begotten before all time and before all worlds and was at the father's side from all eternity, that he was cut off and cast out like a bloody piece of foreskin so that sinners like us could be welcomed in and changed and know the indwelling presence of God the Spirit who takes up residence in our hearts through faith in Jesus Christ. And this revelation, this revelation cuts people to the heart. Just stop and think about what it required for your heart to be circumcised so that you would come to know and love the Lord. It required, first of all, nothing less than the cutting off of the Son of God. What circumcision symbolized in terms of covenant judgment, covenant judgment and wrath coming upon the Son of God on Calvary's tree. It meant the full reality, the full weight of covenant judgment being laid upon him so that he was cut off from the land of the living so that we might live. This is what Paul is getting at in a complicated passage, but I think he's clear here in Colossians 2.11 where he says, In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. And then he goes on, he goes on to say, By the circumcision of Christ. In Acts 2, Luke shows us what the new covenant looks like when Peter in his sermon declares that God made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, 
And those who heard the gospel, this language matters, Luke tells us, those who heard Jesus proclaimed were cut to the heart. That is the fulfillment of what is being proclaimed in Deuteronomy 30, that God would circumcise the heart of his people. They were cut to the heart. And so Peter and uh, they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children. Notice what Peter's alluding to, Deuteronomy 30. Incidentally, that's why we baptize babies here at Trinity. He goes on, promises for you, for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. See what Peter is doing. Peter is channeling Moses and he's showing us how God keeps his word. That because Jesus was cut off, we can be cut to the heart. That old stony, unbelieving heart removed and a new heart given that beats with love for God by grace through faith in Christ. And this happens, this happens when the word makes its home in all of our hearts. And that brings us to the third thing here, the nearness of God's word in verses 11 through 14. In verses 11 through 14, Moses says that God's commands are not too hard, neither are they too far off. You know, no, one has to, no one has to climb and ascend up into heaven to bring it down to us. No one has to, to go searching the earth for it because God has brought it near himself. God has brought his word near. And Moses says, it's in your mouth, in your heart, so that you can do it. Now, it might come as a surprise to us to hear Moses say words that we might typically associate with a kind of naive motivational speaker, right? <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> According to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, answer 82, no mere man since the fall is able in this life perfectly to keep the commandments of God, but does daily break them in thought, word, and deed. Now, we affirm that here at Trinity, don't we? And according to Moses, in the very next chapter of Deuteronomy, he knows how rebellious and stubborn God's children are. He predicts that after his death, they will, they will turn away and break all of God's commandments. So the question arises, what does Moses mean when he says, you can do it? And I think there are two different ways we can answer this question truthfully. Both are true. One is a kind of minimal answer and another a maximal answer. At minimum, Moses is saying that God's word is, is, is doable insofar as it is knowable. God's word is not unreasonable. It's not incomprehensible. It is not rocket science. Right? God is not like a mean parent who gives instructions and commandments that he knows his children will never, ever be able to perform or carry out. On the contrary, God has gone to great lengths to make his revealed will understandable 
for us. And even though the distance between the creator and the creature is infinite, he has bridged the gap, uh, as it were, in the way that he speaks to us, in a way that we can understand. For some of you know, in the Institutes of Christian Religion, John, John Calvin describes the, the tender and compassionate way that God accommodates himself to us to communicate with us. And the imagery that, that Calvin uses is, he says that, that God gets down on one knee, as it were, and speaks baby talk. <laughs> he gets down and lisps, Calvin says. So at a minimum, when God, uh, or when Moses says <clears throat> that you can do it, he is saying that there, there are no unnecessary barriers to knowing what God has said. God has not constructed obstacles for our obedience. He has, he has spoken clearly and simply. He has made known what we need to know. But considering, considering the preceding promise to circumcise the heart in verse 6, and in light of the fact that the Apostle Paul picks up Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 14 in Romans 10, I think more can and must be said about the maximal understanding of these words. You can do it. Because these words, friends, these words find their ultimate end, their ultimate telos, their ultimate purpose in Christ, who is the end of the law. As Paul explains in Romans 10, 6 through 9, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, and here he's quoting from Deuteronomy 9, which says, do not say in your heart, my righteousness is the reason for all of these blessings. So Paul is stitching together uh, words from the book of Deuteronomy. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See what Paul's doing? The word is in your mouth when you confess that Jesus is Lord and in your heart when you believe God raised him from the dead. In Romans 10, <clears throat> Paul is giving us nothing less than an apostolic interpretation of Deuteronomy 30. Paul understands the book of Deuteronomy to be all about Jesus who is the end of the Torah, the end of the law, righteousness to everyone who believes. You can do it. But think about what makes that ability a reality. Ask the question, what, what does it take for the word to be in your heart? What does it require? What, what lengths did God have to go to for his word to make its home in your heart? 
It first of all required that the Son of God himself come down and dwell among us to be cut off so that we might be circumcised with that circumcision made without hands by the circumcision of Christ. In other words, what what the reality is, is through the death and resurrection of Christ, we are made alive. We are brought to newness of life as the spirit of the living God comes to take up residence in our hearts so that we might believe in Christ. But then let's take this a step further. Here we are living in this particular land. How are we to believe in him unless we hear the word proclaimed? You know, Paul deals with this question, doesn't he? How are we to hear and believe without someone bringing the word to us? And so God has sent forth his word. as Paul calls it the word of faith we proclaimed so that we might be cut to the heart by the ministry of the Spirit made willing and able <clears throat> to, to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. Do you see what lengths God has gone to to make your heart a home for himself that you might be saved? It is a wonder, isn't it? And so, beloved, if you call upon the name of the Lord, the restoration of Deuteronomy 30 has come to you. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes, Paul says. Whether you're a Jew or a Greek, it doesn't matter. There is no distinction in Christ. The word has taken up residence in all who trust in Christ. And he bestows riches upon all who trust in him. He has given an inheritance that is unfading and can never be taken away. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. God, we, we thank and praise you for all that you have made known to us. Well, please protect us from the endless analysis paralysis that we are so prone to and, and teach us to live by all that you have made known to us. We thank you that the Lord Jesus was, was cut off so that through the circumcision of Christ we might live. And we pray that by your word and spirit, every one of us would experience this cutting to the heart so that your word would come to take up residence in us and lead us to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and know his salvation. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen.